right. Hello, everybody. It's September 14th, and uh, welcome to another edition of the Ticket to Rider podcast. Uh, I'm Rich Poland, and I have with me today uh, Bill Dubinsky. Stacey Ham is out of town on business uh, and uh, is suddenly un- unavailable. He thought he was going to be available, but something came up with business. So uh, I have uh, my, my, my good friend Bill Dubinsky with me. Bill Dubinsky, uh, for anybody listening, is the greatest color man in the history of Harvard hockey. Uh, and I am a play-by-play man in the history of Harvard. I wasn't even the greatest play-by-play man when I was doing Harvard hockey. Uh, that would be Bob Crawford. Um, but uh, it is uh, very nice to kind of reestablish our, our broadcast partnership. How are you doing, how are you doing today, uh, Bill? Uh, brings brings back the day of the RPI skating insect. Yeah, well, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the uh, skating bug at RPI will be less successful than the uh, than the uh, European Ryder Cup team. We saw some great RPI teams in the day, didn't we? Adam Oates, uh, uh, Darren Pupa. There must have been seven players on that 85 NCAA champion team that, that made it to the NHL and, and played in the Olympics and so forth. It's just an amazing team. My, my personal favorite, jo- Joey Juno, uh, who was another fantastic uh, player for a long time in the league. Absolutely. Adam Oates was such a bad coach for the, for the Washington Capitals that, that he, he's not my favorite. Uh, he was a great blue, though. He was a great St. Louis blue. But you're not a blues fan. You're from St. Louis, but you're a Blackhawks fan. Well, I, I have come around, and, and I'm, I'm now accepting of the blues and, and certainly appreciative of all of the passes that Oates made to to uh, to Brett Hull, who, uh, who, who, would, who would and could be um, a, a spectacular hockey broadcaster himself if he, if he could uh, make the time to do it. Well, he could he could take Jeremy Roenick's place. I think Jeremy Roenick's been canceled. <laughs> Another one, one of your Blackhawks. Now, is Brett Hull? I mean, you 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 did uh, college hockey color for three years. Would you say that Brett Hull is the best player that you uh, that you saw uh, as a, as a broadcaster? Well, he, I, he's the best player that I saw. Besides his dad, who was in the, the booth next to us when we watched Brett play, uh, but but uh, but Brett was actually only a, an average, um, I mean average, all relative speaking, star player for Minnesota Duluth. It was more the cult, the coaching in Calgary and and later on in St. Louis that got him into to sort of ship NHL shape that turned him into the pro that he was. He, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have made it and had such a great career if he, if he had just continued on playing the way he was in college. So he definitely overperformed as, as, a, as a pro player instead of underperformed. And I never saw that. I never saw Brett Hull play because that was uh, our sophomore year, and you were, you were up there with, uh, Nick, with Nick Favorito, the great Nick Favorito, uh, doing those games, and with the even greater Nick Wirth, who, who, as you recall, gained national attention for his... Uh, performance in in Duluth as a representative of of the Harvard Crimson yeah yeah that was that was a long time ago but it was sure it was sure a lot of fun do you know that Nick Worth is now Nick Worth he changed his name 
I, I didn't know that. There was an, when 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 uh, Harvard played uh, Minnesota Duluth in the NCAA finals. There was a story about him in the Crimson, and they tracked him down. And he was very apologetic for for what happened. If if, if people don't know, Nick Nick, who was a, who was a friend of mine, I went to, I went to grade school with him. He's a nice guy, good guy. He had uh, written an article for the Harvard Crimson about. The, how depressed the city of Duluth was because it you know it was bad economic times and how this hockey team college hockey team mattered so much to them but but with a somewhat sarcastic and and I would say somewhat arrogant eye to the situation and it was picked up in Duluth and uh, the people in Duluth uh, had read the story and were not very happy with Nick and uh, I thought the funniest part was he got a speeding ticket coming out of town, and, and the headline in the paper was, Worf adds to local economy. <laughs> People have a sense of humor there, and, um, you know, there, there are a lot of similarities between, you know, the golf culture and the hockey culture in Minnesota and, and in Wisconsin, where you'll be in, uh, in a week or so. Well, hopefully in, in like, Eight years, we'll be back at Hazeltine, and hopefully you'll be with us. I know you're going to be with us at Beth Page Black in four years, uh, and you know you're invited to Rome uh, in two years. Uh, just, a, just, a, just a quick word before we start today. I, you know, uh, I saw the news on, on Twitter today that Norm MacDonald had passed, and, and uh, besides being a brilliant comedian and, and you know, doing Weekend Update for all those years, and, and I've seen him do stand-up, he's fantastic. Amongst other things, he would live tweet uh, the majors for golfing events. He was a huge golf fan uh, and also was an avid reader and actually had a book club on Twitter. And I, I, I was telling you before, I read Anna Karenina for the second time in Norm's book club. And I read wonderful short stories. And, uh, so uh, rest in peace, Norm, um, you know, taken far too young. All right. Well... Um, the Ryder Cup is, is uh, what, shoot, uh, not, 10 days away now. It's going to start a week from Friday. And what I thought we were going to do, what, what I thought we would do today is go over um, some aspects of pairings and uh, uh, discuss how the relative, the, the various coaches might choose to pick their pairings for the Ryder Cup. The traditional way, of course, has just been to, you know, pot them up and, and, and have, uh, you know, buddies play together, the Jordan Spieth and, and Justin Thomas kind of, kind of pairing. But uh, the supposition is there might be, you know, maybe a better way to do things. So I know you had some thoughts about this. Why don't, why don't, why don't, you, why don't you start out? Uh, Bill. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we, we all know that that with uh, Moneyball, uh, people started looking at different types of plays in baseball uh, and, and, you know, players who are undervalued, this sort of thing. And it's now spread to lots of different sports. And with the advent of strokes, gains, statistics on the PGA Tour, there is a lot more data out there. Now, I'm not claiming to have you know, run the numbers, if you will. But I think there are some things that, that really apply to mass play, which is different than stroke play. I, mean, I think that's also an important thing is, is you can't lose a hole by three strokes or four strokes. You just lose the hole. That's it. So, so um, you know, a double or triple bogey is no worse than a bogey, practically speaking. So uh, I, I think last week you talked about the concept of 
you know, having having birdies, players that make a lot of birdies as a, as a big plus in in four ball or you know better ball, and and I think that there's some truth to that. But you can take it even a step further on on four ball and say that that what you want to do is have people who make birdies on different types of holes. So there are some of the long hitters that you can look in the statistics and they're making a lot of birdies on par fives uh, for sure. But then the more of the ball strikers might be making lots of birdies on par threes. And so you look at uh, Colin Marikawa, for example, he's not on the team because he's, he's the longest hitter. Uh, uh, he's, he's not a short hitter by any means. All of the pros hit at a very long way on, on either team. But, but he's, he's not going to be the guy who's regularly banging it out there 325 yards like, like Bison. But he's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible ball striker, and, and that's part of why he won the, the British Open this year. So you could, you could pair him with a long hitter on on four ball and um, you know likewise the people who are the more steady scorers uh maybe you hold them back for 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 the four ball uh that's 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 one theory now on 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 um on foursomes or alternate shot i think that's one where there may be a theory or an idea but it might not actually pan out when you look at the numbers now that there are two things on 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 four ball that, that are excuse me on foursomes i was thinking about first of all um the the uh the players have even at the pro level players have shots they like to play so for for sure any of them can 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 try and hit uh, a fade or, or or a draw, you know, or a stinger on on different, you know, when when it's called on, they they can kind of do it, but they have their favorite shot. And so, what you want are players teamed up, um, possibly that 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 are going to have similar types of shots. So, a a guy who favors the you know the the fade. Kind of like a DJ, right? They're, they're, they, you pair them with somebody else who's going to have that similar type of tee shot, and so they're they're getting the shot towards the green that they would like if they were playing their own ball. So that's another, you know, another theory. But I, I think certainly there's more strategy that you can you can apply to the um, to the four ball than to the foursomes. So yeah, I remember another interesting thing is is actually the ball itself. I remember years ago when they put Tiger and Phil together and the team didn't do very well, one of the criticisms that they brought up is that they used very different balls with very different mm-hmm. characteristics. I, I can't remember. It's off the top of my head. But one of them liked a higher spin ball and the other one didn't. And so playing together, they were forced to use the same ball and, and the team suffered because of it. Um, yeah, that would, that would make a lot of sense, um, you know, on – on the pitches and and the finesse shots around the green that, that your you know your feel would 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 definitely get messed up um so that yeah that's that makes sense so uh one of the things then that the captains have to consider when they when they set up pairings is especially in 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 the alternate shot is how many you know are are there more par threes on the on the odds or the evens um, are there, are there, you know, is it going to uh, be a situation where, uh, you really need one person teeing off on, on, you know, the odd holes and the other person teeing off on the even holes to play to their strength? Uh, 
I'm just looking here, very interesting. What you brought up is, is you know, how individuals score on different kinds of holes. So I'm looking first at the, at the par three birdie percentage. And you would think this would be the ball strikers, right? Um, very interestingly, the top American in terms of par three birdie or better percentage is Jason Kokrak, not exactly looked at as a, as a, as a ball striker, he's a bomber. Uh, Harris English is, uh, Harold Varner is next, who is a ball striker. Harris English is sixth. And Dustin Johnson, again, not really, maybe, maybe incorrectly looked at as not a, as not a great ball striker. Dustin Johnson is ninth. Uh, number one overall on par three uh, birdie percentage is Justin Rose, who probably would have been on the team if... Uh, if Rory McIlroy had been at the BMW and Bern Wiesberger hadn't over overtaken him in the in the European points competition, yeah, I mean you, you've you've got somebody like Justin Rose or you know another person who comes to mind who's played a lot in in, uh, in the Ryder Cup as Paul Casey, you know somebody somebody like that. Uh, but uh, I, I think where 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 you where it's very difficult to to do very much besides, as you say, the you know the feel of the ball, I think is is to is to do anything with putting, and that that really that really really um, um, I mean, generally they're they're going to be lagging and thinking about lagging in, in similar ways at that level. But there definitely are, are people who are, who are a little more aggressive. And, and I think, uh, you, you know, if you're, if you're the person who, who, who is more of a lag putter, all, you know, at that, at the margin, I think, I think that could be a little uh, nerve wracking to get paired with the, um, you know, the aggressive putter. It's interesting. So if you look at the if you look at various statistics, and I just wrote down strokes gained putting, strokes gained tee to green, strokes gained on approach, and birdie percentage. If you look at the players in the Ryder Cup, in all of those aspects, very few of the players are down in the standings in terms of the ball striking. In terms of putting, however, a lot of these guys do not have great putting statistics. I mean, look at Colin Morikawa is number three in the world right now. He won a major. Uh, he's won a world golf championship. He had a fantastic year. He finished 178th in, put, in strokes game putting. Uh, Sergio Garcia, 173rd on tour in strokes game putting. Actually, the best player in strokes game putting on either team is Ian Poulter, who's third. But that being said, interestingly... Ian Poulter is one of the poorest players in overall birdie percentage on either team. He's 122nd on tour in overall birdie percentage. So sometimes it's hard to make heads or tails of these stats. Well, if somebody's making a six-foot putt to save par on a consistent basis, and you think of some of those playoffs in the PGA Tour the last, the last month with, with, with crazy par-saving putts, I mean, that that's not going to be as helpful, for example, in the um in in the four ball right because right. because saving a putt for par uh you're rarely going to win a hole with the par sometimes you will and sometimes you'll save a hole but but more you're going to be making birdie putts to win the hole and that's and that's you know if if i'm advising steve stricker i'm going to say okay when you go out in four ball get your guys who who lead in birdie percentage 
So, uh, number one, you know who number one on tour is in birdie percentage? It's Bryson DeChambeau. He also probably is high up in, you know, in, in double bogeys because uh, he takes chances. But that's good for the Ryder Cup. But he has a, a birdie percentage of 26.3%. That's incredible. Uh, number two, not surprisingly, is John Rahm, you know, the best player uh-huh. in the world right now. Uh-huh. Uh, but amongst the other players, uh, Rory McIlroy is fifth. Uh, on tour, Justin Thomas six. Scotty Scheffler probably the reason he was picked is he's seventh on tour in birdie in birdie percentage. Uh, the lowest guy on the U.S. team. This is amazing on the on the twelve man U.S. team. The lowest guy in birdie percentage is Colin Morikawa, who's twenty first on the PGA Tour. Every single one of the twelve guys on the U.S. team are within the top twenty one in birdie percentage, uh, and only only three of the top 21 uh, in birdie percentage are, are, are Europeans. And they are exactly who you'd expect. John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Victor Hovland. Uh, yep. Although I'm with you, I would, have, I would have assumed Paul Casey was higher because he seems to be in contention all the time. But he's, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack. You know, uh, one, one other thing um, that could be a wild card is weather. So I've, I've been to Kohler and played all four of the courses and the Irish and, and the Straits course are exposed and you, you can certainly get, um, some windy days. It could even be a, you know, probably not cold, but it could be cool and damp. And, um, and, and certainly there are players who play better and worse in those types of conditions, you would think on average it favors the Europeans slightly if you get that bad weather. But but you may, um, you know, assuming it's not the single day, you, you may want to sit some players and, and pop some people up who you wouldn't have thought about playing but for the bad weather. Traditionally, uh, amongst the Americans, you've always kind of thought the best bad weather players were the Texans and Tom Watson. Tom Watson. Tom Watson, being a Midwesterner, is is all to himself. But the Texans have always been good bad weather players. For what you know, I'm sure the we- I'm sure it's because the weather tends to get bad. Or, or, or Steve Stricker himself back in the day. Or Steve Stricker <laughs> back in the day, because the weather's always not good in, in Wisconsin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it'll be interesting when when uh, when the pairings get announced. Maybe we'll call you from Whistling Straits and and get some analysis on on what mm-hmm. you think Steve Stricker has done. And, you know, to see if he's just st- stuck with, you know, very uh, familiar pairings. I mean, you know, uh, again, we do expect to see, say, Spieth and Jordan and Justin Thomas. But in some ways, that's, that's a good group. In birdie percentage, Thomas is sixth and Spieth is tenth. In uh, 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 shots gained on approach, uh, JT is three on tour. Spieth not quite as good, 41st. Strokes gained putting. Uh, not a good year putting for JT, but Spieth is always good. Strokes gained T to green. Uh, JT tied for third. Uh, Spieth, uh, oh, I, I, I miss Spieth, but, but probably not as good. Uh, Spieth is not, you know, he's driving better. This fuels his, his, uh, his comeback from the depths, but still not one of the most accurate guys on tour. And that, well, it's... 
it's 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 going to be a lot of fun for for sure and the um you know the relative merit of sort of these numbers and and the the personality mix it's just difficult to say because the personality mix you know who people like playing with but the only statistics you have are these statistics from the stroke play and that's based on competition. So, so you know, you look at going back 10 years, who played well with Tiger. Well, no one played well with Tiger, but that wasn't because people didn't like him. It was because there was the, the gallery and the pressure and the, you know, the, the, the lead. And, and so when you're, when you're teammates, it's a completely different game. So, so just I'm going to ask you one question, and then we'll, and then, then, I'll, then I'll let you go, and uh, we'll talk to everybody again. We'll do one more pod before uh, Stacy and I'll do one more pod before Whistling mm-hmm. Straits, and where we go over the individual holes, and we'll and we'll kind of tell you guys what the holes are, one to eighteen. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll see if you can be around for that since you've played the course. Um, but uh, I want Stacy there for that because I don't, I'm, you know, I golf once a year, and and Stacy. Mm-hmm. Stacy and you are both are both fantastic golfers, um, but uh, so you're Steve Stricker and you say, okay, I don't want to sit Bryson DeChambeau in my first session of alternate shot, just off the top of your head. So let me give you some statistics. So Bryson DeChambeau is 20th strokes game putting, he's fifth strokes game tee to green, he's first in birdie percentage, and strokes gain on approach, he's not quite as good. He's 53rd. But you also have the Asperger-like weirdness of Bryson DeChambeau and the fact that he hits the ball in places that other people don't necessarily ever see their balls. If you had to pick one guy to go out with Bryson DeChambeau in that first in that in that morning alternate shot session on Friday morning, who would you pick and why? Well, I I, I think I think yeah, I'd pick Sandra Shawley because. Um, I, I think he 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 is somebody who seems to get along with everyone, and he's a long hitter. And uh, you know, I, I I think that could, that's a possibility. Uh, at, that's basically what we've been talking about. Trying trying. I, I think we we said Xander or Patrick Cantlay uh, mm-hmm. would be the best person to. Although personally, I might I might with Bryson. I I probably would sit him for the morning. And let him play. Let him play the four balls, uh, uh, and see how he does. And if he plays well in the first in the first, you know, uh, uh, four ball session, then think about playing him in the morning. But uh, it's hard to sit, you know, a top five player in the world. Right. Well, in, in, unless you're going to you're going to sit him at some point, right? And and maybe that is the is the time to to do it. But he, you know, they'll be, they'll have the the practice rounds and um, the course is going to be set up a certain way and, and, and the conditions will be what they'll be. And I, I bet they do end up sitting in at some point. I think the team's so strong, you know, I, unless one of the, unless one of the pairings does a Stenson and Rose where they just win, 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 I think they're going to wind up sitting everybody at least once. The team's just overall too strong not to. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, as I said, we'll have one uh, more pod uh, either Sunday or Monday of next week. Uh, Stacy's actually going to be out there before I am. And then uh, we'll do daily pods from, from Whistling Straits. Uh, thanks, everybody. And thank you, Bill. And we will talk to you soon. Take care.